Um, but our topic today, uh, care for the marginalized, uh, it's an interesting topic in the context of revival because when I think about revival, I oftentimes think about prayer and preaching and repentance and the Holy Spirit bringing that conviction of sin. And when we think about caring for the marginalized, oftentimes the very first things we think about are the social gospel. Uh, caring for people or individuals feeling like they're contributing to their salvation by doing things to help those that are um, less fortunate. We oftentimes uh, think about the difficulties of the, the here and now um, and the eternal soul. And some of the questions that were given as uh, the workshop uh, information was given to you reflect that tension between the eternal and the here and now. Uh, one of the questions uh, was, is it possible to keep the gospel in the picture when you are doing social good? So, so you know my perspective is yes. Uh, I think that the revived heart uh, can care for the eternal soul by presenting the gospel, but the, care, the, the revived heart also is concerned about the temporal needs of neighbor. So yes, we are called to serve in word and deed. One of the verses that I found very helpful for myself uh, when I consider care for the marginalized is on, in Romans 8.32, and that's the one that I've put at the top of the outline. And I just, I love it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if God would literally rend the heavens and come down and give us the most precious gift, redemption uh, through Christ's blood. He's also concerned with the lesser things that keep uh, people in bondage. Or as one pastor um, I heard said, if God is a multimillionaire and he's made you an heir, isn't he not going to give you a dollar to go into the dollar store? Uh, there's a sense that God is concerned um, with, with so much of all of, all of life. Um, when I think about revival and care for the poor, uh, thinking about some of those great revival uh, writers, and Jonathan Edward came to mind. Uh, I remember reading his five distinguishing marks of a true revival. Have, have some of you here read that particular piece of his? Uh, it left such a deep impression upon me when I read it. And uh, there were five points that he makes in his exposition of 1 John 4. One, that in true revival, Jesus is exalted. The second is the Holy Spirit acts against the influence of Satan's kingdom by preaching sin and repentance. The third, the Bible is exalted and held in high regard. Fourth, uh, sound doctrine is taught. But the fifth, I believe, very much relates to the marginalized. Love to God and love to man is promoted. Love that the Spirit promotes is no ordinary love. It's a divine love focused and patterned on Christ and his love. And I think that this makes sense, that we, as we love, our, uh, we love God, we love our neighbor, the revived heart sees dignity in each individual as they were created in God's image. The revived heart uses power and influence to model God's concern for justice uh, to those in distress. Tim Keller has a very helpful book on ministries of mercy, and that's the title. 
and he notes that historically in times of revival, Christians have sought changes in social structures and in the interest of justice and mercy. He gives many examples, but one of the examples I'm sure we're all familiar with is Wilbur Wil- William Wilberforce uh, in the Great Awakening in the 18th century England. And we are aware of him being an evangelical who was involved with abolishing the first slave, uh, first the slave trade, and then slavery itself. But what is also fascinating is to think about all the other social reforms that he was involved with. Those that have read um, Eric Metaxas's book *Amazing Grace* might recall the listing of the societies that he was involved with, which include. Um, prison reform, education, housing, care for the elderly, missionary work in India, and public health. So there was just a wide range, and during these times of revival, there was a heightened concern for those who were who were, con- were going through distress. And one of the quotes that I've enjoyed so much um, uh, to remember is uh, one that's in the outline, If to be feelingly alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. And that was from Wilberforce. And so as we're thinking about revival, um, may the Lord bring revival on his people here in Ontario that we might be zealous for good works and we might declare the gospel uh, for, for the Lord, the glory of the Lord. Well, who are the marginalized? Um, In the dictionary definition, we're talking about people that are powerless or have an unimportant position within a society or group, those with whom it would be easy to take advantage of. Now, how many here are currently uh, involved in reaching out and serving those that you would consider marginalized, just like a show of hands? Great. How many are doing that in the context of their local church? Right. And of those that are marginalized, can you maybe just a few of you speak out about who those groups are? What makes them marginalized? What makes it difficult uh, for them? Why, why are they vulnerable? A few comments. Single mothers, low-income housing. Mental health challenges. New immigrants don't have access to the system, don't know how it works. Someone else? Language barriers? Others? I'm sorry? Native Americans with with cultural uh, barriers? There's so many that we could talk about. Um, I think those that have studied uh, community development and and systems of, of looking at the challenges of serving, we take a look at the brokenness of past sin, we think about physical disability, mental health, isolation, which is very significant in these days. Isolation, as you've mentioned, because of language, uh, access to services, maybe even access to the internet. Um, And there's so much danger of exploitation and people that could be easily coerced. But there's another element of, of vulnerability that we all share, and that's our spiritual poverty. And as we're talking about care of the marginalized, let's not forget that we are the poor. We are the spiritually marginalized. We were the 
the, we are the powerless ones to our sin. And if it wasn't for our Savior, we would have had no power in which to, to respond to those things that kept us in bondage. So let's not forget our status as the humble poor who can now rejoice because we have the power of God's Spirit. And as we're looking at serving and caring for those who are struggling, who are suffering, um, we want to bring out of gratitude um, for our relationship with Christ, look at redeeming that which is broken. First of all, in our own lives, recognizing there's so much brokenness that the Lord still needs to heal. But then when we enter into um, relationship with others, that we walk in humility to recognize that we want to point them to the Savior who's able to deal with the brokenness in their lives. I love a, a frequently quoted um, line from Abraham Kuyper. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is, a so- who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And so as we're trying to seek the lordship of Christ in every aspect of our lives, let's remember that maybe the web of lies that we've um, believed are not the same as those that are in more vulnerable positions, but we are all ones that need to rely upon the Lord's grace. Um, Biblical mandate to help the powerless? Well, I don't think we have much disagreement about the Bible having much to say about caring for the poor. The biblical mandate uh, to help the poor, the powerless, and those who don't have a defender are numerous in both the Old and New Testaments. There were special groups of people who didn't have others to speak up for them, widows and orphans, foreigners and slaves, and they were not to be taken advantage of. Uh, There are many scripture passages that speak about caring for, speaking on behalf of, defending the rights of those who are marginalized, and how that honors God lends to God um, reflects the Father's heart of justice and mercy. And I think that for all of us that are involved in serving, it's good for us to have some scriptural verses that will motivate us that we do those things that we do out of our, our gratitude for Christ and our love for God, because there will be days when we don't see the types of transformations that we would like to see, and we're called to be faithful in, these, in this work. Um, in specifically, as I am working with the Pregnancy Care Center and uh, dealing with the issue of those that are vulnerable due to abortion, are vulnerable because they are in a place that they feel that their lives are over and they don't have support, I found a couple of verses that are motivational for me and helpful for me in thinking about God's concern for justice and mercy. Uh, the first passage, Proverbs 24, 10 to 12. If you faint in the day of adversity, your, th- your strength is small. Rescue those who are taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? It's interesting that... Uh, the Lord calls us, uh, he makes us aware of circumstances, the vulnerable that are in our past, um, but he also makes us able to be, re- be responders, to be able to help. And he calls us to action and calls us to accountability. And I'm grateful that 31 years ago, uh, there was a group of Christians that were aware of the fact that women were in a place of choosing abortion because they lacked support. 
and they came together and they decided to form the Pregnancy Care Center. And that was their desire, to extend help and hope so that women and their partners didn't feel all alone in an unexpected pregnancy. Today, there are 10,000 abortions that will take place in Toronto this year and have been for some time. But the problem is not just outside in society, as we were challenged today, the problems within the church as well. In a new study that um, was revealed at the CareNet conference just a month ago, uh, indicated about 43% of women in the U.S. who had abortions were regular attenders of church at the time of their abortion. Seven, only 7% 7 of those women have discussed it with anyone in their church. And two-thirds of those women believed that the church would judge single women um, bearing children. Now, we could have some discussion about statistics, whether those individuals were truly walking in step with the Lord. But one thing that the statistics point to is that... Um, the abortion society is, is not just a societal one, it's one within the church, and it's one where there's a need for much conversation, grace-filled conversation, pointing post-abortive women to repent and to the cross. The value of hearing uh, testimonies of women who've chosen life and have not chosen to have an abortion. It also is a reminder to us and a challenge to us about praying. How often do we pray? What do we do to extend help? What are we doing um, to do, to extend, um, make it so that abortion isn't that choice? James 1.27 speaks about religion that is pure and undefiled before God to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why were the orphan and the widow afflicted? Well, they didn't have an advocate, a defender, a leader, a provider. And I think about 85% of women who choose abortion are unmarried. And I think we can think about the unmarried pregnant woman and her baby as being our modern, everyday, uh, modern-day widows and orphans. Many women and men who are facing pregnancy decisions feel their church would condemn abortion but they have doubted, they expressed doubt, that there would be much help coming from the church. So um, Pastor John Enser, in his very helpful book for pastors entitled The Call, asks if we're willing to be cross-bearers for child-bearers. As we are asking women to carry their pregnancy through to term, are we willing to bear sacrifices and help them time and money and skills with housing and providing mom support and dad's support so that they can embrace life, so that they can embrace abundant life in Christ. There's no shortage of Bible verses dealing with the marginalized. And so although we might have, um, and, and again, your area of service and marginalized may not be those that are facing unexpected pregnancies, but I would encourage you that um, just to meditate on the verses that would motivate you and keep you focused on what it is that you believe God's um, teaching you in reaching out and caring for the marginalized. We're, we're not likely going to have much disagreement among Bible-believing Christians that were instructed to care for the poor and marginalized, but what is not always so clear and what is so frustrating is sometimes how to go about it. 
how to be faithful to the gospel, how to keep perspective and not lose heart in broken and messy situations. And, uh, and there are many challenges. So I'd just like to ask you, what are some of the challenges that you currently face or have faced as you've interacted with those that, um, that are marginalized as you've tried to care for them? Non-compliance. So there would be something suggested and not following through with it. So uh, no support or negative support. Anyone else? Lack of trust creates a barrier. Cultural barriers, fear, lack of resources. I think I'm hearing from you as well that oftentimes the desire that we have is for a change. When we um, are caring for people, we so long the best for the best for them. We want things to be great, and we put um, our attentions, our time, our effort, our sacrifice, and oftentimes we see repeating of transactional, people coming back for the same thing and not the transformation that we want. So we're, we're stuck in this transactional, transformational struggle. What about the word and deed balance? Um, heart so much wants to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, and some folks are just wanting to receive the material help. Um, also, the sense of being deserving. Maybe there has been non-compliance. So at what rate do you keep continuing do this, doing the same thing? What's the level of intervention? What, um, at what point do you actually perpetuate um, types of behaviors that will be hurtful to people breaking out of some of those uh, problems? What about time? Uh, time for those that are involved in caring for people. You notice that that's uh, probably the, one of our most uh, precious resources these days to be able to have time. There's no shortage of challenges, but I thought what I might do is share with you a story, a story of a time when I gave support to someone that was facing an unexpected pregnancy, and I learned the hard way, and I realized that I was um, completely... Uh, there were so many things that I needed to improve about my care for the marginalized. So some of the things that I've learned and, and am still learning because although I've been involved in, in caring for the marginalized in different ways over the last uh, more than 20 years, I find that I'm still very much a learner. But let me tell you a story that um, happened, a uh, true story, when I was finishing university came back to uh, my home church with a great desire to serve the Lord and care for the marginalized. And it turned out that there was a young woman from across the road, uh, we'll call her Mabel. Mabel uh, came to, uh, heard the gospel uh, in the preaching, uh, came to repentance, and just had a desire to grow. And she started coming to church, and I made friends with her. And as I made friends with her, I found out that she had some issues with the church. She really found that people weren't valuing her. She was very self-conscious of her clothes. She didn't have money to buy new clothes. She was very self-conscious that she lived in the housing project across the road. She'd grown up with social assistance, and she'd always promised herself that she would never, never live in a situation like that ever, and she never wanted to raise her children there. She had five children, a baby. Um, she had marital issues that caused her a lot of mental health distress. And she, um, she stopped, uh, she had problems with parenting, and that was one of the things that she expressed a need for. And in fact, 
the challenges of her children coming to the Wednesday midweek service were so great that the children were asked not to attend anymore. And so Mabel stopped attending the church, and she felt people didn't like her. And I kept kept in touch with her, and we'd have coffee, we'd pray, we'd read the word together. And then um, she had such a longing to grow on the word of God, and yet all around it seemed to be chaos. I imagine some of you know what I'm talking about. And there seemed to be information that was coming from the Bible, but it didn't seem to be relevant to some of the pieces of her life. And then I remember one day she was praying about budgeting. She said, well, I, you know, we're coming up to school time. I would really like to be able to budget better. So we worked together. We got a budget. We got the money. Um, all, of the, all of the kids' uh, back-to-school items purchased. And then I found her a week later thinking that it would be so much joy, and it was just tears. You see, the children were not happy. They took their no-name running shoes and they cut them up um, because they wanted to have Nikes like all the other kids. Her girls, um, so she went out on credit and got the Nikes for them. And then her other girls felt that because the boys got the Nikes that they needed to have new outfits too. And so there was more things on credit. And then um, there were some other bills that we hadn't talked about when we were doing budgeting. And then I found out about marital and faithfulness. And then I found out that CAS was involved. And then I found out many, many more things. And all of a sudden, I became resentful of her because now my little help of budgeting with her became a much bigger task, and I was out of my realm. And I wasn't humble enough to, at that point, to, to get the help that I needed. And, and that relationship, uh, and in fact, it was uh, very sad um, to see that happen and not have her get the help that she needs. So my helping was well-intentioned, but I was, it was showing off my sinful attitudes. So I thought about that many times, and I think about one was my motive check. Um, was it self-love or love? Was I really trying to be, um, I was trying to fix her problems? Um, was I trying to be her savior? It was actually the classic case of the codependency of her being vulnerable and I wanting to step in to be her rescuer. And um, I hope that today I'd be more humble and ask her where she wanted help and get more information from her and work on the, the types of budgeting changes that she would make, um, that she would um, want to, and, and have her work more uh, through those things. I hope we'd be more humble to actually pray and ask God um, for help because she knew that there would be an issue um, with some of these um, concerns that she had. And I trust that I would have... Um, been humble enough to express to her the areas that I was ask, asking God's help for, that this was not a one-way street. The second would be clarity of expectations. The more I got to know her family, the more I became overwhelmed. And uh, that tension developed in our relationship. And I think I'd be more honest today about what I can do and what I can't do. And I would have got um, created a, a a vision for a healthier future, but it would have definitely got more people involved, more people that had more skills than I did, and I would have been able to be uh, clear about my expectations when she phoned at, in the middle of the night to say, you know, I, I, I don't have any more time, but we can stop, we can pray about this, and, and there are some people that can help right now. I needed to have some uh, very uh, different perspective about the role of the church I was willing to meet with her and have prayer and Bible study um, at her home. And it was true that she had been wounded in the church. 
but she needed to be under in corporate worship. She needed to be under the Word of God. She needed to be in Christian community. And my interacting with her in her home and a few other people actually was creating an alternate community for her and not pointing her to the, to the church which God had established for, for, for her, her to worship. So I trust that today I would have um, been more ready to go to the elders and talk to them about some of the hospitality and issues and have her welcomed back and not let her pushback to the local church be a barrier. Um, probably one of the bigger issues that I've had to learn over the years has been the type of intervention. Because at some point we can become empowering or enabling, and that was some of the, the, the challenges that I heard you speak about as well. Today I had, I had not worked through that taking um, the wrong type of help can actually rob people of dignity and the opportunity to take action for their own development. Yet at other times there are times of crisis when, when we do need to be compassionate and not make people go through a whole bunch of hoops. So having wisdom about types of inter intervention. Uh, today, I would have a better understanding of what would constitute a good reason for being involved in relief work, or maybe that short-term help, or the longer-term development issues, or even working on towards those larger societal issues. That's a whole issue, and if uh, during the time that we have for questions later on, you'd like to unpack that a little bit more, I'd love to talk about that. Um, fifth, I would like to um, just think about how we care for the marginalized in terms of resources. Resources are not going to come up uh, just immediately. They're always in short supply, whether that's time or money or um, people and volunteers. And so it does require um, planning, equipping, and evaluating, and constantly um, working those through. Building bridges will take time. And it can start uh, at a church level, uh, certainly at, at family level, at the first concentric circle, and then within the church. And those of you that are in church leadership that are planning programs of outreach, um, I would encourage you to bring in those that have been marginalized, those that used to be served but now um, are walking in the Lord and are now empowered to serve. Bring them in and ask them their wisdom about what was helpful, what wasn't. Learn. Let's be constant learners of each other and asking for God's wisdom in, in the support and time. So, again, motives. I want to be humble, uh, question, and not be someone's savior. Um, clarifying expectations, really esteeming the role of the church, being wise in the type of intervention, and being very careful about the planning, the equipping, and the evaluating. In terms of the abortion issue in society, Abortion is um, uh, certainly the, we've talked about statistics, but some of the challenges is that most often women are not going to the church to receive help. And yet that is a place where God has called, uh, God has raised the church and the verses that we took a look at even to take care of those individuals within the church that, that are vulnerable. So, um, the Pregnancy Care Center is not a church. We're a parachurch organization. And one of our desires is not to point people to us, but to point people to the Savior and point people to long-term support. 
And I would like to share with you a model of Mercy Ministries that the Pregnancy Care Center has developed over the last four or five years that's very intentional in trying to help equip and work alongside of local churches so that they can get connected with those that are vulnerable because of an unexpected pregnancy in order to provide a number of levels of intervention, a number of levels of support, and a number, a, a greater network of support for individuals. And we've been encouraged that as this has been happening, we've, um, as the linkage between the Pregnancy Care Center and local churches has strengthened, we've seen a significant increase in the number of individuals that we've been able to serve. And as well, we've been able to see a greater number of those individuals find their place in local churches, uh, not only find the pregnancy um, support during their pregnancy, but have uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ and found a spiritual home, a place for long-term discipleship. So I'd tell you, like to share with you uh, this model. You may be working with marginalized in other capacities, but this type of model would be one that, um, that might be helpful for you as you move forward, forward in sharing and caring for the marginalized. Uh, the Pregnancy Care Center, I'll just tell you a little bit about what we do. Uh, we exist so that no woman needs to feel that abortion is her only option. We changed our, our website URL some time ago, IamNotAlone.ca, because most of those that use our services feel isolated and alone. Our services, pregnancy tests, we talk about abortion and its risks, as well as parenting, adoption plans, medical referrals, community referrals, and post-abortion support. That's uh, support for those that have had a past abortion, that are struggling, that are hurting, and um, we have them, give them the opportunity to meet with others that have found healing um, in Christ after an abortion. Also, um, a Bible study called Forgiven and Set Free. Uh, we're serving currently about 400 families a year, but that's a drop in the bucket, 10,000 abortions in Toronto each year. Why are women most... Uh, who are women most likely to discuss the decision to terminate their pregnancy with? Well, the medical professional, 48%. The father of the baby, 61%. Friends, 29 But if we take a look down, um, a counselor or someone at church, someone at church, 7%. A counselor, 10%. A pregnancy center worker, 7%. One of our desires as we work closely with local church is that we can equip the friend, we can equip the, the, the ones that are in the church to know what to say and what not to say and how to be life-affirming and how to extend help and help. 85% of women who have had abortions are unmarried, and of those unmarried, 29% are cohabitating with their partners. So again, we've got this need. We've got individuals that are vulnerable, and they realize that, and I think, and we'll see in the next slide, that they need help not just during the pregnancy, but for those of you that are raising children right now, know that that's a full-time job, and it's not just for one year. But uh, here we've got 18 years, and we've got really the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And pregnancy centers can offer a little bit of support, but the local church can really provide that missing support gap. But the challenge is that the woman or the man in the unexpected pregnancy are not gravitating first to the church. We may have the opportunity to, to interact with them at the pregnancy care center. And our desire is how do we become intentional? How do we become intentional so that we can create those bridges of friendship and bridges of relationship so that that gap can be met? 
And so that's how we developed a uh, model that we call the first response network, where the PCC offices provide the first year of price, uh, pregnancy support. And in terms of intervention, we provide that immediate crisis, that 48 hours when there's a panic, I don't know what to do, my life is over, I, I don't know how I'm going to carry this pregnancy to term. Then walking alongside of uh, individuals throughout their pregnancy, but during that key uh, time period, connecting people um, with some of the volunteers from our local churches so that they build relationships and they have natural relationship bridges uh, to go into the local church. Before we um, make those connections, we want to equip our, the, those volunteers that are working along with us so that they can be sensitive, they can be gracious and kind, and they can also form teams and support. And I see some of the folks that are, are here. That Phoebe um, is one of our first response uh, team leaders, and so she meets with individuals that are facing unexpected pregnancies, and a number of those individuals that she has been meeting with um, are also now attending their local church and are being regularly cared for by the network of individuals at their church. Um, earlier on today when Paul uh, Martin was speaking, he uh, used a couple of words that just caught my attention, and I'll see if I can remember them. He said, um, we're going to talk about things that are true and possible and essential. And I'd like to, uh, I apologize for the quality of the map, but this is a map of Toronto. And uh, the abortion clinics are indicated with a flag and the hospitals where abortions take place. And that's true. That's, those are um, facilities that are available. But I want you to think about what's possible. So the next slide is really talking about pregnancy support centers. We've got one, um, our North York office, as well as five extension locations that we have services in conjunction and partnership with local churches. But then let's take a look at what is possible if the churches throughout Toronto and the pregnancy centers were able to work together, if we could jointly speak about life, we could jointly extend help and hope if women in unexpected and men in unexpected pregnancies knew that the church was a place of refuge. And let's just take a look at the next slide, which is really just our hope and dream that, that um, the churches and pregnancy centers would be places that would work together that, that in Toronto um, and in across uh, Toronto or across Canada, that we would see um, greater strength of providing the immediate support in terms of the long and the long term. And the final one is uh, together reaching more men and women working um, in pregnancy decisions, known for kindness and sacrifice, providing both immediate and long term support, and really having lives transformed by our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's of our vision and our hope and um, trust that that particular model um, might be helpful for you as you think about care for the marginalized in your context. Right now, um, we'd like to uh, just tell you, uh, share with you this video testimony of a woman who came to the pregnancy care center uh, at a time when she was vulnerable, facing the unexpected pregnancy. And then what happened to her as she got connected to um, some local volunteers um, within the local church. And so I'd like to share Fatima's story. So I'd like to maybe um, just open it up for discussion about ways that as church and as those that are Christians can extend care for, for those that are marginalized. So any comments about this particular 
uh, testimony of this gal and uh, any, any thoughts about, as individuals, how we can show care for the marginalized. It's a great question. I'll just repeat it for the recording. That the question is, what is the preparation? How to um, how does the pregnancy care center work in equipping local volunteers in the local church? So one of the areas of um, understanding is that many individuals within the church that want to help have never been in a crisis pregnancy before, so they're not aware of how it feels and some of the struggles. Also, I haven't thought through that the many reasons that. Uh, women would choose to have an abortion are the very same motivations that all of us have the, to sin every day. And so just understanding a little bit about the issues of why uh, people are faced with an unexpected pregnancy, but then they're given some, some practical skills. So how to listen, how to provide some options, how to speak and encourage values, how to share the gospel, and how, um, how we can provide that support uh, together. So after an individuals uh, have gone through our, our, what we call our first response training, which is a day-long training, and the church enters into an agreement with us, then we would have a team leader who would be in contact with one of our team um, leaders. And when we have a woman that says, you know, I'm wanting to carry a child to term, but I need to move to more affordable housing, but I'm six months pregnant and I can't move the boxes. We would then, our, our team leader would, first response coordinator would contact the team leader of a church and say, you know, on November 1st, um, Susie needs to move and we need four people of your trained team members that would come in and help her, her pack. And um, as you're doing that, just maybe to extend an invitation for her to attend your local church. Another um, group of people might say, um, well, we'd be willing to throw a baby shower uh, for, for one of the gals that's there. And so we would be able to offer that. Or it may be that a young mom says that um, she's feeling very... Um, uh, she's very frightened, and so she wants to get to know another young mom and just see how she manages uh, in the home. So there's different ways, but when the individuals that we're interacting with say, I would like help in X, Y, and Z in some of the practical aspects of things, then we would contact our church teams and see if there'd be an opportunity to connect them. What struck me is um, with this young woman that we were talking to, or t uh, shared her, her story, was there um, was a time where there was uh, a time where everything was going wrong in her life and she couldn't see anything that was good. And I remember one day when she phoned me up and I said, how is it going? And she said, fantastic. And I said, hmm, tell me about that. I hadn't ever heard that response from her before. And she proceeded to say that, you know, I've, uh, I've met Jesus, and uh, I know I am not worthy of that, but I want to live my life uh, in, in a way that's different, and I'm trusting him for it. And, and it. But it was a time where I really felt that it was the compassion and the kindness that brought her to repentance in that situation. Um, I'll just uh, wanted to leave uh, some time open for questions right now and about some of the specific challenges that we've been talking about in caring for the marginalized. 
Uh, we did, uh, I sort of skipped over the one point about levels of intervention, about making distinctions between relief, a short-term and long-term help, and what that looks like. Um, are there any of you that are working through some of those issues right now, trying to sort out what level of support to provide people? Yeah, okay, can you maybe tell a situation that you're in? Those are quite great questions, and I think for all of us, we've been there, and we, we wonder, you know, what is the best thing? So, uh, you know, obviously just praying and asking God's wisdom. Um, immediate issues, of course, need immediate solutions, so you're at the right place of providing and getting the health care issues taken care of. But I think sort of in the more immediate areas is oftentimes asking and a permission-based approach um, and asking what are some changes that she wants to make and what are some things that she makes thinks will be making a difference. And the greater, the longer-term um, types of changes that we want, the more they're going to have to take ownership for their own solutions. And oftentimes they know what the next steps would be but for a lot of different reasons, they're not taking those steps. And so asking a lot of questions to find out what the fears are that are keeping that next step and um, asking, um, just asking a lot of really good questions to find out whether she actually needs more information, whether she needs accountability. Um, and oftentimes in situations where we have mothers, let's say, I'm needing more patients, I'm needing more patients, so easy to come in um, with the gospel at that point and saying, you know what, um, I, you know, I, I know that... Um, I know that you don't, uh, your faith isn't Christian, but this is my background. I believe that God made us all good, but we've, we've all gone bad, and we've got this, this nature that does things that we don't want us to do. And we believe that the only one that can truly change us is God, and God has come down and, and died. And we can make it very, very, um, just put that pebble in the shoe and take the very issues that they know that they can't deal with in their own life and point them to the hope of the gospel. And then I find that particularly with Muslim families, it's so easy to say, can I pray for you? And they say, would you do that? And a prayer to a personal uh, God who hears, and, and you can point out to a verse of scripture that you're praying for them in. And generally they would say, oh, thank you. No one's ever prayed for me before. So I guess as I've tried to work through this and continue to work through, it's the prayer, the, the, the gospel working together, um, trying to think of what's the truth that needs to, that's underlying um, some of the issues. But again, with the permission-based approach that you're always asking, you know, hey, can I, can I read you a verse of scripture? I actually read something in the Bible I think might be helpful. Can I read that to you? Um, I've got 
got some other options for you to get referred over here. Would that be helpful? And, and try to get the next thing um, as opposed to having five or six or 20 things that need to be changed. That's just too overwhelming. It's too overwhelming for us to even think about. But what's the next thing that they can do? And um, we had a gal in not too long ago that was um, distressed with many different things. And we had two steps for her to do. And every time when she's called and distressed, remember those two steps? Two steps. And when she came in the next time, um, Things were still messy, but she'd done those two steps, and there was this real sense of encouragement. Yep, we can do the next one, and there was a, a sense of encouragement. So, anyhow, that was one, one area that, that I've been growing in. Lindsay? Right. Well, I think that some of them is, is in danger. You know, if you're actually seeing that things are, are pers there's anything's dangerous happening in the family, that um, the, the woman's health, the, the health of her children, the safety of her. I mean, I think that you have a responsibility to say, I'm really concerned about you. Here are some options. Uh, one of the things that we interact with women that are going undergoing distress and we're feeling that maybe they're not taking care of their children properly. Um, one of the beautiful ministries called Safe Families, um, and there's church people that would take the families, the children, um, into the home for a short time period while mom maybe needs to get go to the hospital, get her medication sorted out, or, or have some help. So pr being able to provide some options um, and try to keep as many options open, but but when we express that we're concerned, um, that we also come up with, with some alternatives to walking alongside of her. I think danger signs for us is whenever we find ourselves getting frustrated with people or angry um, because we're giving or being asked to give more than we intended to or, um, or when we've gone over some boundaries, I think there's a good point in saying, you know what? I can only, you know, I, and being honest, you know, I, I've got to go to work right now. I've only got um, a 15, 20 minutes right now. I'm really concerned about this. This is important. You know, if it, obviously it's very important. You need to call authorities. But there, this would be, is this something that I could share at my church? Is this something that I could share? I know this organization that does some help. I'll be willing to help you go there. Um, I'm just not feeling that I have all the resources. And I find that people respond well to that. Um, and they may want you, of course. They want that, that solution. Uh, they want to be sort of the victim and you being the, the person solving. But uh, there, there's that honesty and integrity. And again, going to God, can we pray that God would give wisdom and just calm, calm the situation down here? So I guess you, you being sensitive to yourself and, and the danger signs for the family. I hear you. Um, 
I think before, obviously beforehand, trying to outline people's consequences from, for all their actions. We do that with a pregnancy decision. If you choose to have an abortion, these are the consequences that you're likely going to face. If you're going to have a parent, you know, these are going to be some of the issues. If you place for adoption, these are going to be some of the issues. And so being honest and open about what some of those consequences would be. And then even try to walk them through that in scenario. Okay, so let's say you're not compliant with whatever it was. What do you think the consequences would be? Just get a little bit of feedback coming through. You know, where do you think you would stay? Oh, well, we could always go to, say, at Lydia's place. Well, no, my place is not available. Um, and, and trying to think through, uh, we had a, a gal not too long ago uh, speak about wanting just to run away. She wanted to go away to the shelter. And she thought that was going to solve all of her problems. So we just did a bit of scenario thinking, okay, well, if you go to the shelter, what do you hope is going to be there? Well, I just hope I'll be all away from my problems. Well, what do you, who do you think is going to be there? How do you think it's going to be set up? Um, and, and then, well, what would happen to the housing that you just got? Um, where do you think would happen if you don't pay for your rent for the next couple of months while you're in the shelter? Well, I'll just get another place. Well, do you know that there's a seven-year waiting list if you're going to get on? Oh, never. And so trying to, um, I think we're all in similar ways. When we get into a crisis, we don't think logically, and we only have a tunnel vision, and we oftentimes just want to escape. And so trying to provide some reality and, and just asking of, again of questions. Most of them know, but um, it's just overwhelming at that moment. Yes. Well, we we you know we heard that certainly in in the message um, uh, clearly that you know you know where where sin is repentant of that that God is not punishing us so that's one of the issues that women with post-abortion um, grief and distress deal with they feel that God is is punishing them um, because of that so we take a look at full atonement Christ if you've truly repentant that that that's been taken care of. But oftentimes, just with the simple illustration of, um, of you taking care of a child and you say, don't go and touch that because it's hot and you're going to get burned if you do. And um, as, a, as a child goes and gets burned, it's not that the pun parent is punishing the child for the burn, um, but the, child was, the parent was trying to lovingly create those boundaries. And that, you know, God has set good boundaries for us, and we, we step out of them, we get burned. And those are some consequences. And although uh, God will forgive, the scarring will be there, and there'll be issues that, that we have to remember. But, I, again, I guess pointing out, again, that anything is redeemable, so that when we are in those circumstances, that God can even use those circumstances uh, with surrendered for his glory. Mm. I don't have all the answers, but we've seen it uh, certainly, and we've got I've got circumstances in my my own family's life, and also uh, with individuals we deal with, and we ask for God for wisdom. We try to we speak truth, um, find truth. We try to point people to take the next healthy step, and many of the outcomes we we don't know what will happen, and sometimes God in His mercy will just 
pick people up, and other people have to go down a long road. I see that our time is up, so we're going to have to wrap up. Uh, but again, just the, the sense that, um, that as God revives our hearts, may we have a care uh, for those that are powerless and those that need help. And might we be encouraged that um, as we do those things that we believe God wants us to do, that we keep doing them, we keep trying them, and even when we fail, we try to learn from them and work um, at growing in them. And we uh, just pray that... God will be glorified as we become good works zealots uh, for him uh, with the pure message of the gospel that uh, people would come to find life um, and abundant life in our Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you.